turn with me to um, Joshua chapter 20 in your Bibles or you can read it with me um, from the notes and we today we're gonna continue talking about uh, shadows of Golgotha, pictures of the cross in the Old Testament. Uh, today is Sermon 32. We're shooting almost, what, seven, eight months now in this, and I love it. So um, we actually arrived to the book of Joshua, and that will be, I think, the only time, as far as I know, that's the only time we're going to be speaking from the book of Joshua. And then we'll, uh, I think next week we're going to go to Ruth. But Joshua 20, we're going to read a long story from verse 1 to verse 21. It's the story of uh, Rehab. So let me give you a background if you're not very familiar with the scripture context. And then we'll read what happened there. So the children of Israel were slaves in the land of Egypt for 400 years. And God sent who to get them out of the land of Egypt? Moses. Moses. Good, good. Okay. Not too bad. Good, good. So God sent Moses to get the children of Israel out of the land of Egypt and it took 40 years almost for them to reach the promised land. Mainly, it's actually a three days journey. That's all what it takes. Three days to get from the land of Egypt to the land of the promise. But because of the rebellion and because of their sin, God kept them going in circle in the wilderness for 40 years till the generation that left the land of Egypt all of them died and actually their children are the one who inherited the land because they complained about God so um, Moses himself actually died in the wilderness he sinned against God and he was not able to make it into the promised land and the one who actually led the people of Israel into the promised land is uh, Joshua Joshua was um, uh, Moses assistant Moses right-hand man and uh, after Moses died God God appointed Joshua to be the leader who will lead the children of Israel into the promised land. So he pretty much was the military leader at that time. And the story that we're reading now, I think that's the first major uh, city that faced the children of Israel into the land of the promise that Joshua helped conquer. And it is a city called Jericho. Okay, so uh, this was a fortified city, city that is, um, has huge walls and really, really hard to conquer. And the way God did it, it, it was in a, in a way funny. God said, I don't want you to fight. I don't want you to raise the sword. I don't want you to, to do it in your own strength. Here is the way you need to do it. You need to circle around the city for seven days. Every day you circle only one time around the city. And then on the seventh day, you circle seven times around the city. So how many times total so far? Seven and six is what? So 13 is a good number for Christians. It's not a bad number. Amen. So they circle 13 times around the city. And then after they circle 13 times, they all shouted. And what happened is that the walls actually fell in its place. And it was a miraculous display of the power of God. They didn't even need to conquer or come up with this military strategy to conquer the city. The Lord did it for them. Amen. But as a common practice, still, before they entered, before they conquered that city, Joshua sent a couple of spies so they can check out the land. It doesn't mean that Joshua was doubting God. He just wanted to know 
how he gonna proceed forward to have more information so when the city is conquered he kind of like have a lot of information about how to proceed amen so this is not here Joshua is sending spies to check out the city it is not a lack of faith or anything like that it's just a common military practice God didn't seem to be bothered by it or anything like that amen so that's the context let's read what happened when Joshua sent these two spies in the city of Jericho we read about a lady uh, a prostitute by the name of Rahab so Joshua 21 now Joshua the son of Nun sent out two men from Acacia Grove to spy secretly saying go view the land especially Jericho because that's the one that was really hard so they went and came to the house of a harlot named Rahab and lodged there and it was told the king of Jericho saying behold men have come here tonight from the children of Israel to search out that country verse 3 so the king of Jericho sent to Rahab saying bring out the men who have come to you who have entered your house for they have come to search out all the country then the woman took the two men and hid them and she said yes the men came to me but I did not know where they were they from you know why she's a harlot she's a prostitute so she's she's using that for her advantage to so say you know men come here all the time I don't ask them where they're coming from she's like oh yeah they came but I don't know who they are verse 5 and it happens it happened as the gate was being shut when it was dark that the men went out where the men went I don't know pursue them quickly for you may overtake them verse 6 but she had brought them up to the roof and hidden them between the slacks of flax and she had laid in order laid in order on the roof so she hid them among that flax and she covered them with it and laid it on order verse 7 then the men pursued the men that's the soldiers of the king has pursued the spies by the road of Jordan to the fords and as soon as those who pursued them had gone out they shut the gates so the soldiers went out they shut the gates so they can catch these spies verse 8 now before they lay down she came up to them on the roof and she said to the men I know that the Lord has given you the land and the terror of you has fallen on us and that all the inhabitants of the land are faint-hearted because of you for we have heard how the Lord has dried up the water of the Red Sea for you when you came out of Egypt and what you have did to the two kings of the Amorites who were on the other side of the Jordan Sihon and Og whom you utterly destroyed let's pause here for a second remember last week we talked about the book of Deuteronomy and how is that a review from Moses to the children of Israel about their trip and the commandment of God and we say that two and a half tribes resided on one side of River Jordan and they did not want to cross to the promised land and God was okay with that so these two and a half tribes pretty much replaced these two kings King Sihon and King Og they destroyed all their uh, people or their kingdoms and they in, they took over their land on one side of Jordan and now the rest of the tribes the ten and a half tribes are crossing over to the actually the promised land verse 11 and as soon as we heard these things our heart melted neither did neither did 
neither did there remain any more courage in any more any one of us because of you for the Lord your God he is God in heaven above and on the earth beneath verse 12 now therefore I beg you swear to me by the Lord since I have shown you kindness that you also will show kindness to my father's house and give me a true <coughs> token a sure sign and that's that's where I got the title of our message today a sure sign okay this is what we're gonna stop give me a sure sign uh, a true token and spare my father my mother my brothers my sisters and all that they have and deliver our lives from death so the men answered her our lives for years if none of you tell this business of ours and it shall be when the Lord has given us the land that we will deal kindly and truly with you verse 15 and she led them down by a rope through the window uh, for her house was on the city wall she dwelled on the wall and she said to them get to the mountain lest the pursuers meet you hide there three days until the pursuers have returned afterward you may go your way verse 17 so the men said to her we will be blameless of this oath of yours which you have made us to swear verse 18 what unless when we come into the land you bind this line of scarlet cord into the window through which you let us down and unless you bring your father your mother your brother and all your father's household into your own house so in verse 12 she asked for a sure sign in verse 18 they gave her that sure sign and what was that sign a cord of scarlet exactly a scarlet cord verse 19 so it shall be that whoever goes outside the doors of your house into the street his blood shall be on his own um, shall be on his own his own head and we will be guiltless and whoever is with you in the house his blood shall be on our head uh, if a hand if a hand is laid on him verse 20 and if you tell this business of ours then we will be free from your oath which you have made us swear verse 21 then she said according to your word so be it and she uh, and she sent them away and they departed and the last part is and she did what she bounded she bound that scarlet cord in the window so that's the stories pretty easy she was a prostitute the spies ran into her house and she knew that the children of Israel would actually take over the land so she hid them on the roof and covered them with flax soldiers of the king come she said oh I don't know where they at. go after them she was a little bit crafty but good craftiness okay and she sent them away and then after they're gone she told the spies hey I spared your life would you please spare mine and they said yes we will spare your life and your household's life but here's the deal you have to hang that scarlet cord on that window by the wall and as long as that scarlet cord is there and everybody is inside the house you're safe if you tell anybody if anybody leaves the house if you remove that scarlet cord then your blood is on your head amen so these you three conditions here leave the scarlet cord stay inside the house and don't tell our business that's that's the conditions of the the covenant the terms of the agreement she agreed they agreed she hanged the cord if we go back to Josh chapter Joshua chapter 6 we'll see that they circled and once the walls fall our uh, walls of Jericho fall Joshua said to his soldiers go kill everybody in this land except rehab the harlot and his household spare her out and they did amen, amen. 
All right, story simple. We're all good here. We know the story. Okay, let's move on. How is that a picture of uh, of Golgotha, of the cross? And what do we learn from that story? I want to highlight three major points here. I want to talk about a sure judgment. And number two, I want to talk about a sure sign. And number three, I want to talk about a sure faith. Let's say them together, okay? Number one, a sure judgment. Number two, a sure sign. Number three, a sure faith. Let's start with number one, a sure judgment. Last week, we were talking about the cities of refuge, right? And part of what I was sharing with you is God's heart for the sinners. How even though God is holy and he hates sin, yet he really doesn't want sinners at all, not a single one, to die and perish apart from him. Amen? We see that to be apparently kind of like strange in the context of our story. Because God has commanded the children of Israel, when they go to the land of Canaan, not to spare a single soul in that land to kill everybody, the children, the cattle, the, the women, the elderly, every single one that breathes in the land of Canaan, God has commanded that they should be utterly destroyed, utterly killed, and the children of Israel will take over. Amen? And that seems to be strange a little bit, right? If God is for the sinner, if God doesn't really willing that the sinner should die, why would he command the children of Israel to kill every single living soul? How about the, the little children? They didn't have a choice. Why would they be killed, right? And it's a critic not just for us as Christians that sometimes can baffle us, but even those who don't believe the Bible, they use that and point that out as a story of how God in the Old Testament is a bloodthirsty God, and He really not loving or merciful or anything like that. Amen? But that's not the case. So let me just show you a couple of verses here. Let me read to you the actual command from God. This is, again, Moses reminding the children of Israel of what they need to do in the book of Deuteronomy, um, chapter 20, verse 16 to 18. Here is Moses before he died. And he said, But the cities of the people which the Lord God, the Lord your God, gives you as an inheritance, you shall let nothing that breathes remains alive. Not even the animals, you should not spare that. Verse 17, but you shall utterly destroy them. The Hittites, the Amorites, and the Canaanites, the Perizzites, the Hiphites, the Jebusites, just as the Lord your God has commanded you. And verse 18, lest they teach you to do according to their abominations, which they have done with their gods and your sin and you sin against the Lord your God. So here is Moses commanding the children of Israel, reminding them, and he's saying, when you go into the land of Canaan, make sure you don't spare anything that breathes, including children, elderly, and animals. Nothing. Harsh, right? Moses gave us the example here, the reason here, because God was concerned, and that was one of the major reasons, is God was concerned that the Canaanites will eventually um, mix with the children of Israel and teach the children of Israel how to worship idols, and that will be a trap for them to go away from God, right? And they actually, believe it or not, the children of Israel did not obey God. They left a lot of these Gentiles in this land. And if you read the story of Israel, it exactly happened this way. It tripped the children of Israel and they sinned against God over and over and over again because they have not obeyed the voice and the commandment of God. Amen? But still, it seems a little bit harsh, right? Why don't just 
take them out of the land. Just uh, send them to like whatever, you know, send them to Persia or send them to uh, India or somewhere else and just let them live far away so they not influence the children of Israel, but they still live. Why would God command that they should be utterly destroyed and utterly killed? That seems so harsh, doesn't it, right? It is not. Here is why. Amen? The answer to that question, why God has commanded them to be utterly destroyed, we're actually going to find in the book of Genesis chapter 15. Way, 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 way in the beginning. In Genesis 15, we read a very strange story. That is, we hear the context is God is speaking to Abraham and he's commanding him to follow him and obey him. And God is assuring Abraham that in his seed, all the nations of the world will be blessed. Amen? And in, in Genesis 15, we read a very strange story. We see that God commanding Abraham to bring an animal, probably a cow or a bird, a couple of animals probably. And God said, you need to split these cows, cut it into two halves, and do the, the same thing with the bird. And you put once, you split it in two halves and make a way in between these two halves. And then God said, I will walk in between these two halves and I'm going to make a covenant with you that I am going to bless you and bless all your descendants after you. Amen? That was the common way of performing a covenant in the Old Testament. When two people in the Old Testament want to do a covenant, they bring a bird or a, or a, or a sheep or anything like that and they cut it into two halves and the two parties or the person who's making a covenant is to walk in between these two parts in, in an essence, that person is saying, may what happened to this animal happen to me if I do not abide with the words of my covenant. Okay? So that's pretty much the common practice of performing covenants in the Old Testament. It's just saying, may I die and be split into pieces if I do not perform the words that I'm uttering right now. That's the common practice. The good thing about this is when God commanded Abraham to, to split these two animals, he did not command Abraham to pass through, right? Only God passed through them. Abraham did not pass through them. In a way, God is saying, Abraham, this is absolutely independent of you. You don't even have to worry about this. It's a covenant that I am making with you. You're, I'm not expecting you to, to pledge anything back to me. This is me being gracious. I'm making that covenant to you. It's one-sided. It's not like you and I will have conditions and agreement. I'm telling you the way I'm going to do it. And this is my covenant to you. And that's independent of your faithfulness or if you're good to me or not, I'm just going to do this anyway. Amen? We're clear so far? Yeah. We talked about this before when we talked about the blood of Jesus being the blood of the covenant, if you remember. And if you don't, here's a reminder. Amen? So that is the context of the story that we read in the book of Genesis chapter 15. So let's read these two verses. And from these words, we're going to see why God actually destroyed the Gentiles in the land of Canaan. So Genesis 15, 13 to 16, then the Lord said to him, to Abraham, know for certain that um, for 400 years your descendants, the children of Israel, will be stranger in a country, not their own. Which country is this? Egypt. Egypt, exactly. So God is telling Abraham, your, your descendant going to be slaves for 400 years. And they will be enslaved and mistreated there. Verse 14, but I will punish the nation they serve as slaves. And afterward, they will come out with great possessions. That literally happened in, in, in the book of Exodus, uh, chapter 12 and 13. Verse 15, 
You, however, will go to your ancestors in peace and be buried at a good old age. In the fourth generation, your descendant will come back here in the land of Canaan. That's the fulfillment of the story of Joshua that we're reading, right? Joshua is leading the children of Israel back to the very land where God has promised that Abraham descended will own. And here is the very reason, right here, why God has commanded that all the Gentiles will be totally annihilated. And he said, for the sin, look at this, let's read it together. For the sin of the Amorites has not yet reached to full measure. So the very reason God is saying that the children of Israel were enslaved for 400 years in the land of Egypt is because God during that time is being patient with the Gentiles, with the Amorites, with the Canaanites and the Hephthites and all the seven nations that Israel has placed that have utterly destroyed. And God said, I am just being patient with all these wicked nations. I don't want to destroy them and I'm going to give them grace for 400 years that they may repent and may come back to me. And if they don't, which they didn't, then they're going to be totally destroyed. They're going to be totally punished. What happened is God used Israel as his tool to punish these Gentiles who did not repent and refuse to come back to God. Amen? For me to is for Israel to replace and annihilate all the, the land of Canaan, for me it's no different than the flood. It's the exact same story. God waited for sinners to repent, they didn't. God used the flood to destroy them. Amen. The story of Sodom and Gomorrah is the exact same thing. God gave these two nations, two cities, a long time to repent, but they were wicked and insisted on wickedness. So God rained fire and primstone from heaven and devoured these two cities. Amen. And it's the same, same concept here. God gave the Canaanites 400 years to repent. They didn't. What happened is God used Israel as his tool so they can destroy these seven nations that have sinned against God and totally refused to repent. Amen? Amen. You see the point here? This, there is a sure judgment. Even though God waited 400 years for these Canaanites to repent and turn back to God, their, their stubbornness and their hard-hearted and stiff-necked attitude toward God led to the ultimate destruction. Amen? Yes. Well, I have bad news for you. I have really bad news for you. Amen? That God is still alive and well. He is actually the same yesterday, today, and forever. That God who did not spare Sodom and Gomorrah. That God who did not spare the people in the time of Noah. That God who did not spare the Canaanites when they insist on sinning against God. Is still right here, right now, today. Is being patient with every single one of us. But if you insist on saying no to the grace of God, guess what? There will be a day that will come when there will be no grace, no more left for you. And all what is left is just the judgment and the wrath of God. Amen? Yes. This is scary, right? Yes, but is. you need to know this stuff because I'd rather you know what you're getting yourself into. So you decide exactly what you'd like to do. But you know it because this is the word of God and you know exactly what you're doing. Amen? God will judge sin. The fact that God is waiting and tarrying doesn't mean that he's okay with sin. He's not being okay with it. He's being patient because he loves you and he doesn't want you to die and perish. But if you would harden your heart and say no to the grace of God, you're the one who's bringing God's judgment on yourself. You're not giving God much options to give you forgiveness. Amen? There is a sure judgment. We, 
Rahab herself alluded to that in verse 9 and 10. She said, you utterly destroyed the king of Og and the king of Sihon and their kingdoms. You utterly destroyed them. And what you have done there, you're going to do right here as well in the city of Jericho. And they literally did that in Joshua chapter 6. Amen? God waited. They said, no, God said, too bad. That's not good, right? So there is a sure judgment. But number two, there is a sure sign. Read with me verse 12 one more time. Verse 12. Now therefore, I beg you, swear... Turn with me. I, I have it bolded so you can find it really quick. Verse 12. Now therefore, I beg you, swear... To me. to me by the Lord, since I have shown you kindness, that you also will show kindness to my father's house and give me a true token, a sure sign. And later in the story, as I mentioned earlier, we know that that sure sign was a cord of scarlet that was hanged from the window of, of, of Rahab at the wall because she was living by the wall. And imagine this, friends. Imagine this. It's just amazing. Remember the children of Israel circled for seven days around Jericho, right? And imagine like in our story here, Rahab is saying, oh, we heard what the Lord has done in, in, the, in the Red Sea, how he dried it up for you guys to walk through it. We heard how you guys have abolished these two other kings and their kingdoms. You totally destroyed. So the nation of Israel at that time, they had their stigma that, you know, they have a mighty God working on their behalf, right? Imagine yourself living in the, in the city of Jericho that day. And day after day, during that seven days, every time you wake up, you see that the children of Israel is circling around the city. You know, you don't know what they're doing, but you know they're not wasting their time, right? There's something happening, but you don't know what is happening, right? And you know that their God is mighty and their God is powerful and He can just kill you in, in a split of a second, right? You would be so scared if you're living in the land of Jericho during that time, right? Because you don't know when it's going to hit you or how it's going to hit you, right? But there is only one person in that city that was safe and secure. And even though she would see that the children of Israel is circling and circling and circling around the city, she still has so much confidence and she knows that her life will be spared. Do you know her name? Rahab. Rahab. Why? Why was Rahab safe inside her house? Do you know why? Because she had that cord of scarlet hang on her window. And that cord of scarlet was not there, she will be just as scared as everybody else. Amen? But it is because of that guarantee that they gave her. It's because of that sure sign, that sure token that she hanged that cord of scarlet from her window. Rehab was safe. She had peace. She didn't worry about the children of Israel when everybody else was worrying about it. Amen? Because that was her guarantee that she is safe. Amen? And that is a vivid picture of the blood of Jesus. Amen? Because the blood of Jesus, when He died on the cross, that blood is our assurance, is our guarantee that when God will strike every single person because of their sin, that those who are hidden and washed in that blood will be saved from the wrath of a holy and a righteous God. Amen? We see that theme that God marks those whom He's going to spare. Actually, very prominent in the scripture. Multiple times we see that theme. That God marks those whom He's going to spare from judgment. Amen? Let me show you a couple of examples. Ezekiel 9, 4-6. Look at this. And He said to him, in the broader context, that's a person who was dressed in, in white linen. 
And he said, go throughout the city of Jerusalem and put a mark on the foreheads of those who grieve and lament over the detestable things that has done in it. So these are the people who, who lament over the sin. These are the people of God who regret the sin and seen it there. And then we see a commandment here that the man who is clothed in white is going around and he's marking on the forehead those who are gods. Amen? And then in verse 5, as I listened, as I, Ezekiel, listened, he said to the others who are supposing they're going to execute the judgment of God, follow him, the man who's dressed in white linen, throughout the city and kill without showing pity or compassion, slaughter the old man, the young men and women, the mothers and the children, do not touch, but look at this, do not touch anyone who has the mark and begin from where from the very house of God amen you see it's the same theme it's the same story that is happening here that God will mark those who are his in the day of judgment and they will not be touched amen Revelation 9 to 4 that's at the end of times look at this they were told not to harm the grass of the earth or any green planet or any tree but only those who do not look at this who do not what have the seal of God in their forehead again it's the same concept God marks those that are his and everybody else will be punished and will be judged amen Maybe the most prominent example in the scripture of God marking those who are his is actually in the book of Exodus chapter 12. The story of the Passover. You guys remember? When Moses was about to take the people of Israel out of the land of Egypt, God commanded that they bring... God said, I'm going to let the destroyer go through the land and kill the firstborn of man and sheep. But for the children of Israel, God said, you bring a lamb, you slaughter it, you take the blood, you put it in the post and the door lentils outside your houses, outside your doors. And then the destroyer will go through the land. And if he sees the blood, he will pass over you. And if he doesn't see the blood, he'll go in and he will kill the firstborn. Amen. And look at this, Exodus 12, 13, the blood. Now God speaking to the children of Israel. And he said the blood will be what? A sign for you on your houses where you live. And when what? I see the blood. Who sees the blood? The children of Israel or God? God. Because the blood is on the outside, right? God says this blood will be your sign. The, the Hebrew word here is your distinguished mark. What sets you apart from everybody else. Amen? God says what God has set you apart when I pass through to judge is not your ethnicity and is not your morality. It's not how hard you try to attempt. Nothing going to spare you in the day of judgment except one thing and one thing only and you know what it is it's the blood of Jesus amen and the same God has not changed he spared the children of Israel because of the blood and he will not spare anyone in this world from their judgment and from their sins except through the blood of Jesus amen it doesn't matter how hard you try how much did rehab had to work she didn't have to do anything. All what she had to do is just to hang that scarlet cord, right? How much did the children of Israel have to work? Really nothing. They just killed the lamb and put the, put the sign outside. And that's their guarantee that they are safe. Amen? And it's the exact same thing today. Remember the first thing I said, there is a sure judgment over every single sin. God is not going to tolerate that even though he's being patient so far. Amen?
But number two, I want to tell you that nothing, 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 absolutely nothing will spare you from the judgment and the wrath of God except the blood of Jesus that was shed on the cross for your sake and my sake. Amen? If today you could try relying on your works to be made right with God and trust in the sufficiency and the righteousness of Christ that what He has done for you on the cross, you will be saved once and for all from the judgment of God. Amen? Amen. And if you're going to keep trying to be made right with God in your own merits and in your strength, guess what? It will never happen. Amen? Right. It's only the blood that's going to make you right with God. It's only that scarlet cord that spared rehab. Amen? Yeah. Imagine that rehab would have taken that scarlet cord off. Right? The children of Israel going around and around and around and from the outside for them, every single house looked the same. Right? Except one house, the house of rehab, right? It has that scarlet cord coming down. And if she ever would have to remove that cord from there, then guess what? The children of Israel will not know where is her house so they can spare her. They don't know how she looks like, right? They might have an idea, but they might not spare her. It is the cord that set rehab and her household apart from everybody else. Amen? And look at the words of the spies. They said, if, if you and your household inside the house, you're safe, right? And outside the house, there's no safety. It is the only way for you to, be, to escape the judgment is to be covered by that sign, by that scarlet cord. Amen? Yeah. We talked last week about Christ being our city of refuge. He's the one in which you can hide from the wrath and the judgment of God. Amen? And that's precisely the picture that we see here. If you're covered in the blood of Jesus, you're safe and have eternal life. And if you're not covered, you better run and take refuge today in the blood of Christ. Amen? Amen. Thanks, Karen. But that's the only amen. I heard only one amen. Amen. <laughs> All right. So how can you do it? How can you? Okay, I, I understand. Rehab had to get a physical cord and hang it on the window. I get that. She, there is practical steps that she had to do. But how about you and me? How can we actually apply the blood of Jesus in a spiritual manner in our lives? How can we spiritually escape the wrath of God? Amen? That will take us to point number three. Ashura. Faith. The exact same way that rehab expressed faith, that's what you need to do today. And if you do the same way, if you trust God the same manner rehab trusted God, you also will be rescued from the wrath to come. Amen? Now let's talk a little bit about rehab's faith because this is mind-blowing. Okay? Turn with me back to the story. Let's read verse 9. And she said to the men, now rehab is talking to the spies, and she said to them, can you help me out? Tell me what is the first few words that she said. I know that the Lord has given you the land. Wait a minute, Rehab. I need to ask you a question here. How do you know? We know that God has given them Jericho because we look back and we read the story and we know that the walls has fallen after they circled 13 times around it, right? But for Rehab, how would she know? Nothing has happened yet. As far as what she knows is these walls are pretty fortified, right? For crying out loud, she lives in one of them. She knows how solid these walls, these walls are, right? But she knew that the Lord would give them the city even though physically and with her own eyes, she doesn't see that the city is delivered yet, right? That's faith. 
right? She trusted that God will work it out. It's going to work even though she doesn't see it happening. And she said, I know this is going to happen. Even though I don't see it with my eyes, but I know it is happening anyways. Amen? Amen. 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 Let's read. continue reading what she has said. We know, I know that the Lord has given you the land, that the terror of the Lord, the terror of you, has fallen on me. Right? On us, no. on us or on me? So how many persons were certified in Jericho? The whole city was certified, right? And that all the inhabitants of the land are, how many are faint-hearted? Just me, she said, right? I'm the only one who scared a few, that's why I'm going to spare you. She said that, right? No, she didn't say that. She said, all the inhabitants of Jericho, every single living soul in Jericho was faint-hearted because of you, right? So they all had the terror of Israel falling on them. They're all faint-hearted because of Israel. Verse 10, for we have heard. How many people heard? Just, just Rahab. The whole city, everyone in the city have heard that the Lord has dried up the water of the Red Sea for you when you came out of the land of Egypt and that you have, uh, what you have did to the two kings of the Amorites who were on the one side of the Jordan, Sihon and Og, whom you have utterly destroyed. Look, look at verse 11. As soon as I heard these things, we, we or I? We, we. Who's we? The whole city. Every single one in Jericho. As long as we heard these things, my heart melted. No, Our hearts melted. Neither, there, neither did there remain any more courage in me. In any one of us. You guys get the point? Everybody hurt, right? Everybody was scared. And everybody was terrified because of what the Lord going to do in Jericho, right? But only rehab acted on that. Everybody else started to resist the move of God, right? Only Rehab started to submit to the move of God. Amen? And she said, you know what? Everybody heard. Nobody else wanted to, to act on it. I'm acting on it. And look how much faith she had. You know, she spared the two spies. She hid them. And then after she spared their lives, she told them afterward, hey, I did good to you. Would you please do good to me? And they could have simply said, oh, we're sorry. God already commanded us that we have to kill everybody. I know you did good, but our hands are tight. We already made the commitment to God to kill everybody, right? She didn't ask for the assurance before she spared their lives. She spared their lives, and then she said, hey, would you please be gracious to me the way I was to you? She took her chances, amen? Because even though she didn't know that she would ever be spared or not, she said, look, you know what? I am dead anyways. Might as well try to get out of it, right? And she did. And she hid these two spies. Everybody else did not heard, but did not believe. She heard, but she trusted that God might be able to spare her. And she did something based on that belief. Amen? And that's why the author of Hebrews, look at this, Hebrews 11.31. This is what the author of Hebrews say. By faith, the prostitute Rahab, because she welcomed the spy, was not killed with those who, actually the Greek says, did not believe. You know? So the author of Hebrews is making a fast contrast between Rahab who believed and everybody else who did not believe. And the author of Hebrews say, those who did not believe perished and died. But on the rehab, because she believed. Because she trusted. And because she trusted, she lived. Everybody else, they heard, they didn't trust. And that's why they died. Amen? 
And that's what God wants from you today. It is not really complicated. All what you have to do is just say, God, I know I am a sinner. I know I sinned against you. I know your judgment is coming. No matter when, it's just a matter of time. I'm going to be judged. And I know that the blood of Jesus, a sure sign that can spare me today if I just run and take refuge in it. And all what you have to do is actually say, God, forgive me of my sin. I'm going to quit trying to do good. I'm going to quit trying to please you through my own good works and today I'm going to repent of every single sin I have committed and I will come and I will rest in the sufficiency of the righteousness and the blood of Christ. Forgive me once and for all and from today forward I will be yours. Amen? And if you have that faith, the same God who justified and, and saved Rahab by faith will save you today by faith. Amen? Amen. He did not change. He, he works in the same principle. The same God who saved Rehab will save you today. Now, buckle up. This is so good. Now, Rehab, we read about her in the New Testament. After that story, we read about her in, actually in, in, in Matthew chapter 1, verse 4 to 5. So focus with me in this. We're going to read a lot of names, but this is going to be good. Matthew 1, 4 to 5. Now he's talking about the genealogy of Christ. And he's saying, And Ram, the father of Aminadab, and Aminadab, the father of Nashon, and Nashon, the father of Salmon, and Salmon, the father of Boaz by Rehab. Okay? Let's look at that verse one more time. So when Rehab actually was spared, she married a Jewish boy in the tr from Israel, and his name was? Who's Rehab's husband? Salmon, right? Salmon. Salmon. And Salmon, the father of Boaz by Rehab, right? So who's the husband of Rehab? Salmon. And who's her father-in-law? Who's his dad? Here he is. His name is Nashon, the son of Aminadab. You guys follow me so far? So Nashon, the son of Aminadab, is the father-in-law of Rehab after she was spared and she got into the children of Israel. You're with me? Now who's that guy? Nashon, the son of Aminadab. If you dig a little bit in the Bible, you're going to find this guy is actually not your average Joe. In Numbers 1, 4, 7, and 16, look at this. Now the book of Numbers, now God, during the time of Moses, God is numbering all the children of Israel. And we read about Nashon, the son of Aminadab here. In Numbers chapter 1, verse 4, 7, and 16. And there shall be with you a man from each tribe, each man being the head of the house of his fathers. So God is commanding Moses and say, appoint leaders, governors for each tribe. Amen? And verse 7 we read, from Judah, the, 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 the governor of Judah should be who? Nashon, the son of Aminadab. That turned out to be Rehab's father-in-law, right? And verse 16, he said, there, uh, These were the ones chosen from the congregation. This is the description, including Nashon, the son of Aminadab. These are people choosing from the congregation, the chiefs of, of these ancestral tribes, the heads of the tribes of Israel. So Rehab's father-in-law was the governor of the tribe of Judah. Now look at this. Look at this. Remember what she was before her faith? She was a Gentile. She wasn't even a Jew, right? She was a Gentile. She was destined to die because she had sinned against the holy and righteous God. Amen? And not only a Gentile, she was also a 
prostitute. Maybe that's why the author of Hebrews pointed that out first thing. He said, by faith, the prostitute rehab. This one was even worse than the average person who's sitting in the city of Jericho. This person, not only Gentile, but she has sinned so much against the holy and the righteous God. Amen? But because of her faith and her trust in that scarlet cord that she hung on a tree, she did not only become in the nation of Israel, but her father-in-law was the governor of the tribe of Israel, of the tribe of Judah. Amen? This is an amazing picture of the grace of God who lifted a, a Gentile foreigner prostitute and when she became into the family of God, into the children of Israel, she did not marry your average Jewish boy. Amen? She married the son of the governor of Judah. Amen? And that's a vivid picture of what the grace of God can do to you and me if you just place your trust in the blood and the sufficiency of Christ. Amen? God will lift you up from the pit of addiction, from the pit of drugs, from the pit of smoking, from the pit of immorality. And He will lift you up all the way up to seat you down in the heavenly places with Christ Jesus. Amen? But how do you get there? By faith. You just trust Him. Amen. Trust Him and the sufficiency of His blood. And that's all what it takes for God to lift you up all the way up. Amen. Amen. When Rahab became into the family of God, she became kind of like the first lady almost, you know. Or her father-in-law was the governor. She became very important in the tribe of Judah. Amen. Just like that. Just like that. Because she trusted God who can justify sinners. Amen. And it didn't even stop there. Now, it's not that she became the, the daughter-in-law of, of the governor of Judah, but Jesus himself, the King of kings and the Lord of lords, came from Harry very first, very, very womb. Amen? She was the grandmom of Jesus. Jesus came from her lineage. I mean, Jesus, you're holy and pure and you're, you're the son of God. You have all this glory. Couldn't you just choose a cleaner person? Couldn't you just choose a better person? I mean, you have all these Jewish girls who are trying to please you and do all the right things. Couldn't you find somebody better so you can come out of her womb? But Jesus doesn't care. Amen. You know why? Because it's not about what you have done. It's about the sufficiency of His blood. Amen? Because of the sufficiency of His blood, the filthiest of all sinners will be as righteous as Jesus Himself in the eyes of God if they just trust in the sufficiency of Christ. Amen? Amen? The grace of God, the story of rehab is a vivid picture of what the grace of God and the blood of Jesus and just trusting that will do to you and me. You'll be lifted up from the very bottom to be the very best, a child of the Most High God. Amen? Amen. John 1.12. Let's read this together. But to all who those who received Him, what does it mean? Who believed in His name. He gave them what? The right to become children of God. Do you see that? Yeah. You see, you and me are slaves to sin. We are slaves to Satan. Amen? We are slaves to this wicked and evil world. We are distant away from God and we're living in all our filth and our sin. Amen? But by faith, you're not going to only be transferred from being a slave to sin to become a slave to God. You'll be a child of God. Amen? Yeah. Because the grace of God will lift you up all the way up from the very bottom to seat you up in the very heavenly places with Christ Jesus. Amen? Amen. A sure judgment. A sure sign. But only also a sure 
faith. Would you please trust God today? Yes. Let's close our eyes and pray. Just remember that the people of Jericho all heard, right? They all heard, right? I think that's true for all of us today. I don't think you're here and you haven't heard.